Greetings again, everyone, and welcome to another episode of OSI Today, the podcast featuring news and views from around the Office of Special Investigations. I'm Wayne Amon from OSI Public Affairs, and in this edition, we continue our special series, My OSI Journey, which showcases the diversity and inclusion of our command-wide members. And today, I'm very pleased to be joined by Special Agent Lieutenant Colonel Robert Davis, the Deputy Associate Director, Warfighter Readiness and Execution at OSI Headquarters in Quantico, Virginia. Robert, uh, welcome to the program. It's been a long time since you and I had a chance to uh, kind of converse uh, at length. I know. I, I think COVID was to blame there. <laughs> yeah, that darn COVID. Uh, son of a gun. But uh, it's good to have you with us. Uh, good to talk to you again, uh, uh, Robert. Uh, I know we've uh, talked about uh, uh, various things, uh, you know, in your uh, OSI career uh, uh, before, and we'll get into that a little bit later on in uh, this session. But let's get into uh, uh, some of the uh, uh, questions that we uh, already had on board. The first one is uh, kind of a basic one for our, uh, uh, our listeners. When and how did you become interested in law enforcement and subsequently uh, the Office of Special Investigations? Well, I've always been interested in law enforcement as a kid growing up. And there was a film that came out and originally I saw it on TV because, you know, my parents weren't going to take me to the theater to see this. But there's a film that my (laughs) man did back in the 80s called Manhunter. Uh And it's actually based on the uh, Hannibal Lecter series of novels uh, that Tom Harris wrote. And so there was a remake of it then later called red dragon and that's what the name of the book was but they for the film they named it manhunter and the film is really focused on advanced crime solving uh-huh. and it was just fascinating to me like how they were they were trying to detect and, and uh, uncover who the serial killer was going to be and and i love that movie and it's one film that i continually watch and enjoy every year and uh, that really got me interested in, in that regard but i by like high school time frame, I, I didn't really think so much about that. Like, what am I going to do after high school? And it wasn't until. I, and and you're, I, sir, your high school, uh, you came out of Texas, right? That's correct. That's okay. correct. Okay. Mesquite, I believe, right? I went to high school in Mesquite. Yes. Okay. Okay. Very good. I grew up in Garland, which is yeah. the home of scandalous country star Leanne Rhymes. Oh, yeah, and, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Very good. <laughs> and the cartoon show King of the Hill. is uh, Ah, is yes. Garland. Very good. Yeah. <laughs> But it, it, yeah, towards my later years in high school, through the JROTC shooting program that I was involved in and just competitive shooting in general, I met a man that was retired from the Air Force. And from what I remember, he was on the Air Force shooting team. His name was Ted Bailey. And I, back in those days, we were sending letters. And I would send him letters, asking him questions about the Air Force. And then one time he called me and we were talking about, well, what do you want to do in the Air Force? Because I, I knew that I, I kind of wanted to go in the military right. when I either finish high school or college. And he was telling me about different career options. He goes, you know, something you might consider is this thing called OSI. I was like, what you, what's that? And he said, yeah, you, you don't wear a uniform. You, uh, you, you wear like a suit and you investigate crimes. And oh. that sounds really interesting out the gate. So that, that was probably my, my earliest awareness of, of what OSI was and sort of funneled an interest that I, I, I kind of had about law enforcement into something that, Hey, I think I could perhaps do this uh, when I get into the military. Right, right. Now, uh, kind of a little bit of specifics here. Uh, how did your OSI uh, career begin? Uh, obviously, uh, you know, agents go to the uh, Federal Law Enforcement, uh, you know, Trading Academy, uh, OSI Academy uh, down in Glencoe, Georgia, to get, you know, basically spun up on, uh, you know, uh, investigations and, and, and a whole myriad of things. Uh, is that how your uh, career in the command began? Well, going through FLETC, sure. 
but get, getting into OSI was, was not very straightforward. Uh-huh. Well, at, at least for, for my journey, right. I knew I wanted to do it in college and I went to an air force or sorry, they called it operation OSI summer program, which your junior or senior year of college, if you're in ROTC, they send you away, or at least back then they send you away to like a summer program for a couple of weeks. Right. Ideally to some, to something that represents a career field you're interested in or want to know more about. And so I did that program. I really loved it. It was a great two weeks down at uh, Eglin Air Force Base with Colonel Gary Little, or now Colonel Gary Little, back then Captain Gary Little. Right, right. And I, I was, oh, this is great. But the harsh reality of it is that out of the commissioning sources, there's very few slots available nationally. And I don't think that's really changed much as well. And so I don't remember the exact numbers, but there were less than, I think, 10 slots given out nationally. And that included uh, from Air Force Academy as well for people to direct commission into OSI. Sure. So. I commissioned as a second lieutenant and went into communications, which is now I think called cyber mm-hmm. as a career field. And I did that for six years. And I was told that you could apply for cross training into OSI once a year. And you, you couldn't, I think it was after five years, you could not apply anymore. Like you, if you'd have more than five years of federal service, you, you were ineligible to, to try and cross train. Right. And one, complications that I ran into back at that time was the communications career field was very stingy with letting people move out of their career field to try something else or to cross train into something else. And so I kept hearing no a lot, either communications mm-hmm. as a career field wouldn't let me go or, or the board just didn't select me. Right. And on my very last package or my last eligible package going up to the board, I finally got selected. And that was kind of funny to me because I'd heard no so many times that the, honestly, the level of attention to detail that I put into that package, you know, making sure every page was straight and right, 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 <laughs> everything right, looked perfect. Right. On that package, I, I had less attention to detail and I, I just kind of put it in because I was like, oh, I'm going to hear no again. And, <laughs> uh, yeah. So. But, it, but it sounded like perseverance uh, kind of paid off for you at that time. It did. And, and I think that played my favor too, because I, I think that every time I, I, I sent up a, an application letter, I was like, I want you to know I've been applying for every every time I've been eligible in my active duty career <laughs> for this job. So maybe someone took pity on me and <laughs> and uh, let me in. Well, you've certainly uh, you know, made your mark uh, in OSI since then. There's no doubt about that. Uh, you mentioned uh, you, you faced a bit of a challenge in, in getting uh, through finally being selected. Uh, were there any challenges you faced once you did join OSI and, and how did you overcome those? Well, the, the, the challenge that was kind of, uh, kind of shocking to me uh, was a few months after I graduated from Fletzi and I was in Germany at this time, or I was, I was going to be stationed in Germany. And when I got to my new assignments, I was told, oh, hey, you've only been here for three months, but we're going to send you down to a fraud task force at Ramstein for six months now. And mm-hmm. I, I couldn't believe it. I'm like, what? I, I just got here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You're taking me away. Um, and I, I know we're probably going to talk about this a bit more later, but I'm on the Air Force shooting team, and I've been right. doing this since 2002, pretty much my entire career. And I had been competitively shooting at my prior duty station in Belgium, had my own personally owned weapons um, legally registered in Belgium, and I had my EU firearms pass and everything. Sure. And when I moved to Germany, I basically transferred that um, the paperwork and the weapons to, to take with me into Germany. 
But that, that process, uh, I'd been working with the United States Army Provost Marshal Office, which is sort of the, the governing body for service members in Europe that are trying to uh, register their personally owned weapons um, mm-hmm. in the country. I'd been working with them prior to uh, me going to Germany uh, when I was still in Belgium and learning about the process, like how are we going to transfer the paperwork and you know, how do I reapply? Um, how do I do all that? And part of the paperwork process in Germany was that there had to be an 05 in your chain sign off on your paperwork. Okay. And now, now, now for our, excuse me, sir, uh, for our uh, uh, novice listeners, an 05 would be uh, a lieutenant colonel, correct? Yes. Thank you, okay. Wayne. No problem. <laughs> you got to <laughs> love You got to love the acronyms, there. right? <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Okay. So you had to, you had to get uh, a lieutenant colonel to uh, jump on board for you then. Right, right. And at the time, my boss was not a lieutenant colonel. He was a major. Uh, I mean, my boss at home station. So when I moved to the task force, they had a lieutenant colonel as as the squadron commander there at the time. And I thought, oh, this is great. And naively, I I had met this lieutenant colonel a couple times and and, um, explained that, you know, I uh, I'm new here on the task force and, and excited to do things. And, and I think I'm pretty sure I mentioned to her that I was on the shooting team, but right. uh, maybe, uh, she didn't take note of that, but I then prepared my package for the application for the firearms ownership in, in Germany. And I sent that paperwork uh, to her with an explanation of, Hey, I'm on the air force shooting team. And I've you know, been competitively shooting in Europe for about four years now. And I just plan to continue it here in Germany. And I just need a Lieutenant Colonel to sign this particular package uh, so that it can work through the provost marshal's office and, and onto the, the German government. Right. And uh, unfortunately, uh, I, you know, Lieutenant colonels, squadron commanders in OSI or any, anywhere in the air force are obviously very busy, have a lot of things on their plate. So right. she gets this email in and, and, and I, I realize this now, like in retrospect, I should have done this completely differently, but <laughs> <laughs> at least socialize it as we say in the command. Yeah. Well, uh, hindsight's always twenty twenty, right? <laughs> right, right, right. And so she asks her weapons program manager to look into it. And her weapons program manager at the time, uh, I'm not sure who he called, but he called someone at some level of the German government, whether more than likely down at the the lower Pulitzer police, police levels. And that person, that unidentified person he spoke to, uh, that represented Germany at that time, said, oh, no, Americans cannot own firearms in in Europe. That's impossible. Hmm. And uh, <laughs> wow! so that's what the weapons program manager communicated back up to the squadron commander. And so I get a call a couple days after I submit that paperwork from my boss at Spangdalem. And he says, Robert, are you smuggling guns into Europe? <laughs> <laughs> what a question. <laughs> well, that was a loaded question. And I was like, oh, huh, I don't know about this. Where, where is this going? And um, he laughed about it because I, I had explained prior to going to um, the task force, what I was doing to him in, in much more detail. And he was totally on board. He understood that, you know, it was a legitimate purpose and, and that I was doing all the right things as far as the, the paperwork. And uh, he, he laughed about it, but uh, right. he, he's the, the squadron commander called him and said, Hey, this, this Davis guy's smuggling guns into Europe. He's your problem now. Get, take care. Of it. <laughs> wow. That's, that's a terrific story. Yeah. It sounds like, uh, yeah, you overcame that challenge. It sounds like kind of a roundabout way, but uh, you got it. Uh, you met, you overcame it. And, and, uh, and, and you're much, uh, I guess, wiser now for it, I would imagine. 
Yes. Yes. So, you know, my advice to anyone going into the Air Force is if there's uh, some paperwork and if it involves firearms, uh, make sure that you uh, let your your bosses or anyone part of that chain that is you know signing off on things, let them know in, in explicit detail what to expect and what's going on and, and uh, to avoid any sort of uh, misunderstandings later. There you go. But, uh, there you- I, I was kind of shocked about the whole situation, but it was <laughs> it was just funny how my boss called me. He's like, you're smuggling guns into Europe. <laughs> <laughs> what a question for your boss to ask. Uh, right. <laughs> anyway, uh, you know, moving along a little bit, uh, uh, who or what inspires you to do your best in OSI? I know uh, in the past you said you're a real self-type motivator, but uh, uh, has there been anybody in your uh, uh, OSI career that uh, has kind of helped you along and, and been kind of like a mentor to you in some ways? I I, I can't really say so. Um I, I know that uh, Randy Pendleton, I, I remember him. He's actually, we went to the, uh, well, he's called like Air, is the ASBC, Airman. Something like that, yeah. Air, okay. Air and Space <laughs> Force or something. Now it's like, right. Air, it was like ABC, the, the, or Air Basic Course. They might have gotten rid sure. of it. By, but sure. it was like a, a course that you would go to following you commissioning within like your first year of service where, you get uh, sort of like a common ground or you go, you go through a few weeks of training of, of like commonality to sort of bridge any gaps or disparities between like what you would learn at the service Academy or, or right. ROT or something or some other sure. sort. Sure. Um, and Randy Pendleton was in the class or my class with me. And he was the first OSI agent um, that I'd met since I got on active duty. Uh-huh. And he was, was a really cool guy. And uh, just, uh, it was, it was refreshing to see that because I, I think there's also a misperception sometimes that OSI agents are, are stuck up and, and not, um, not helpful or not friendly or anything like yeah, that. Yeah. And, you know, I, everyone's interaction can be different, of course, but, but for me, it was, it was great just to meet somebody in the flesh and, and someone that was my own peer group. Right. Um, yeah. Agent, was, uh, agents, agents are people too. Right. Right. Absolutely. And uh, you know, I, I think that yeah, just how down to earth he was and like, Oh, and he said, yeah, this is a, he really enjoyed OSI. And he said it was a great crew field. And that, that only further motivated me to, to try and get into it. Okay. Very, very well said. Uh, now, uh, what is the most gratifying part of your job with OSI? I know that might be kind of tough to pinpoint, but uh, uh, what uh, uh, do you really say to yourself, hey, this, this really is making things well worth it for you? Well, right now in, in this particular position in warfighter readiness and execution, something that I really enjoy is being able to get feedback from the field. So mm-hmm. our, our, our part of the, the headquarters deals with deployers and deployments primarily right. Right. primary focus. And it's been very helpful to try and set up easy ways for deployers to reach out to us. We set up a uh, deployment feedback email box, basically. Uh-huh. And I put the word out to anybody that'll listen that, Hey, if you've deployed or you've come back from a deployment and you've got some ideas about what worked well, what didn't work well with regards to training, readiness, equipment, what have you, uh, let us know. And it can be like a short message or a paragraph or whatever. And opening the, the lines of communication like that, if you will, has really opened the door for getting some great feedback from the field that we just weren't getting before. Yeah. Top of that, we review after action reports and also end of tour reports, and we try and glean um, as an organization, you know, what what are some lessons learned, what are some things that we perhaps could improve, and what what are we doing well? Yeah. And so, taking that feedback from the field 
and and having deployed and, and known, you know, that there are frustrations sometimes. And you're like, well, I wish someone would listen at headquarters. I wish they knew this X, Y, Z. And, and we're getting that feedback now. Right. And when we can validate it and, and make sure that there's, you know, that it is a it is a, a requirement that maybe it's not being met or, you know, however. And then trying to take that uh, that feedback and trying to implement positive changes to address any potential shortfalls. That, that's very gratifying. Very, very well. Good, good. Uh, now, I know what we mentioned uh, a couple of minutes ago, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty. If you could do it all over again in your career, is there anything that you would change about uh, uh, your time in OSI? Or is, uh, or is it things gone pretty much the way you had hoped and, uh, uh, you know, kind of uh, you charted your own path for this? I wouldn't change a thing. Mm-hmm. I'm a firm believer that not everything happens for a reason, but I, I think that like major life events or, or major moments in your career happen for a reason. And right. uh, I, I would totally roll those punches again and, and do it all, all the same. Okay. That, 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 that's very nice. That's very succinct. And uh, uh, I know it's very easy for some people to say, yeah, I do this differently, just differently, but uh, uh, then it wouldn't be you, I guess, uh, you know, because you're the only one who's lived the life of, of Robert Davis and, 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 and uh, to do it differently. Uh, maybe it wouldn't be you after all. Right. Absolutely. Now, uh, looking, uh, putting on a, a, your uh, uh, crystal ball here a little bit, what direction do you envision OSI going into the future? Uh, obviously, so many things, you know, with technology and, and uh, you know, the, the challenges of, of the world at large of being what they are. Uh, where do you see OSI going? Well, I, I think that we're going to continue to um, move back and forth between our, our two prior, primary missions of being a law enforcement entity and a counterintelligence agency. Uh-huh. Uh, I, I think you see that historically, and anyone that, that knows about OSI uh, can, can see that as well, is that we, we have years of interest where we kind of lean more heavily on the counterintelligence side, and then there's some years where we lean more heavily on the law enforcement side. And right. I think we're as long as we can, we continue to to have both of those mission sets for the Air Force. I think that we're going to continue to see that kind of alternating every few years, where where the you know there, there's never like a perfect balance of both. I don't think that's possible. But mm-hmm. um, and I think also it's it's just driven by by leadership. You know, the interest of leadership at the time of, of what what are they more interested in, or where do they think that uh, our resources should be better spent? And uh, so I, I I would like to think also too that we'll probably continue to have more involvement on the cyber front because I, th- I think some of your previous guests have talked about this, but yeah. unlike maybe 15, 20 years ago, now almost every case we have, even something that somewhat of a, of a, of a simple investigation involves uh, some aspect of cyber to it, whether it's yeah. even something as simple as a cell phone um, or GPS data or, or something like that. So yeah. I, I think that the cyber realm will continue to, to play a, a huge part in all of our investigations. Mm-hmm. Now that uh, transitions very nicely into my next question, uh, Robert, what advice would you give someone who would like to join OSI? Would you tell them, Hey, uh, you know, you know, if you're into cyber, this could very well be the uh, career for you. I, I think it is. I, if you have some sort of advanced cyber skill that, that you can, you can articulate or, or show examples of not just like, you know, I can type on a keyboard. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. But if, if you have some advanced uh, cyber skills that are recognizable or some certifications, I, I think that would go a, a long way to distinguishing you from the crowd when it comes to uh, how to get recruited into OSI. Because 
it still remains, and it was this case even years ago, is that OSI is the, the second most requested career field outside of being a pilot. Right, so it's, right. it's in very high demand. And I'll, I'll never forget when I've done uh, murder boards, as we call them in the command, where you you have like sort of like a recruiting day. And you have different applicants come in from the base, and uh, they they sit in front of you, and you ask them questions. And um, when I did one board in particular, the first – I think we had four applicants that day. And the very first applicant – after we complete, concluded the interview, we thought, oh, this is this applicant's great. This got all these characteristics we're looking for. It's a sharp performer. Yeah. And funny, by the fourth person that day, that first person that we were we were fairly impressed with was at the bottom of our stack. Wow. Because we, we'd met someone that spoke two languages um, and as a senior airman already had their degree. I mean, it was it was really impressive um, out the gate. And uh, that that's. Yeah, that's why I say if, if you have something that can distinguish you from from anyone else uh, that could be turned into a positive or, or articulated as a positive for the organization, I think that will really help you out. Right, right. Well, that's very well said. And I'm sure anybody uh, interested in OSI uh, uh, probably jotted some notes down about that uh, as well. Now, uh, Robert, I'd like to wrap our session up with uh your your passion if you will i guess uh normally i'll ask if anything else that people would like to add to their interview um my question to you is this um one of your many hats that uh you uh, wear with osi you you oversee command weapons policy now i would imagine that is right in your wheelhouse of your passion for marksmanship uh you know weaponry these kinds of things and so uh uh did that aspect of OSI that, that, that you that you do uh, play right into uh, uh, you know your your passion or your interest uh, for marksmanship and and uh, that kind of thing? Well, I, I was glad that when I moved into this position that the, the weapons portion was part of the XR or sorry the warfighter readiness and execution portfolio. Right. And man, weapons program manager Mr. Brian Guerin has been doing a fantastic job in, in that capacity, and I've. I've tried to help him out uh, wherever I can or provide inputs uh, here and there uh, where, where I can. But uh, that that definitely was of interest to me when I moved over to uh, Warfighter Readiness and Execution. Because previously I was in, in the built, uh, sorry, in the uh, headquarters as well, but working over at the Investigations, Collections, Operations Nexus Center, Icon Center, right. uh, doing another job. And, and I had to move again and I was, yeah, I was excited that the weapons portfolio uh, fell into this, but I, I, I will also say that, I mean, I've, I've always had this, yeah, the passion of, of, of competitive shooting. And, and like I said, I've been doing the Air Force shooting team since 2002. And that has also stepped into something that I've been very happy the command has supported. And that's the Air Force Wounded Warrior Program, which yes. is an official yeah. Air Force program for wounded warriors that has nothing to do with a charity that has a similar sounding name and osi in general has been very supportive of me coaching uh, shooting events for that program and that has been an incredibly rewarding part of my career to be able to to give back especially like the skill sets that i've learned from competitive shooting and then translate that into something uh, helping out air force wounded warriors with their personal recovery no matter what their their illness or injury is uh-huh. Yeah, I would imagine, too, that uh, being a team captain of the Air Force uh, International Rifling, Rifle Team uh, gives you that good street cred with uh, the, uh, the Wounded Warriors as well. It, it does. It does. And there aren't many there aren't many airmen in the Air Force right now that 
that have that sort of background. There, there are a few that have competitively shot this style of shooting, but they might be, that might've been something they just did in high school or college and they haven't touched it for years. Mm-hmm. And so the, the program was excited to be able to find somebody that, that is active duty and also has professional experience in, in, in that discipline or being able to teach an air rifle and air pistol disciplines. Right now, uh, not only are the uh, the captain of the Air Force uh, National Rifle Team, but uh, in uh, glancing at uh, your bio a little further, uh, you're a record holder for the Air Force in the 300-meter uh, rapid-fire kneeling and 300-meter rapid-fire prone categories. So uh, uh, you've really learned to hone that skill to a, to a razor's edge. And, uh, you know, kudos on you, Robert, for doing that. Uh, uh, you you uh, represent OSI and the Air Force uh, very well in those regards. Well, thank you, Wayne. I- I, I try my best. <laughs> now, uh, is, is there anything else that you would like to add uh, beyond what we've already talked about today? This, the floor is yours, as they say. The floor is mine. <laughs> <laughs> um, I would, again, this is an advocacy for the Air Force Wounded Warrior Program. I would encourage anyone listening to this that, that is in the Air Force or knows someone in the Air Force, whether you are a supervisor or a, a subordinate, or you, know, you have a friend that uh, may find themselves classified as wounded, ill, or injured, I would highly encourage you to reach out to the Air Force Wounded Warrior Program or have someone that you know that falls into that category reach out to the Air Force Wounded Warrior Program and get, get that journey started because it, I, I've seen it firsthand. It's, it's so amazing to see the recovery people can get through that program to be able to get back on their feet, uh, so to speak. And it's a, it's, it's, it's a humbling program for, for me to be able to be a part of, but uh, as, as part of that as well, I, I like to promote that at uh, any chance that I get, because I, I feel that unfortunately not many people know that it exists. Right, right. Well, Robert, uh, obviously you've, uh, you meant a lot to a lot of people in, in the program and to OSI. So uh, uh, thank you so much. And uh, uh, we'd like to say thank you for uh, wrapping up this, uh, this edition uh, on such a very positive note. Absolutely, Wayne. Thank you so much for your time. Our guest has been Special Agent Lieutenant Colonel Robert Davis, the Deputy Associate Director, Warfighter Readiness and Execution at OSI Headquarters, Quantico, Virginia. Robert, thanks again for taking the time to be with us. It was great to speak with you again. It was great speaking with you, Wayne. Thank you. And thanks to all of you listening for tuning in. For OSI Today, my OSI story, my OSI journey, we should say, I'm Wayne Amon saying so long for now.